Welcome to StellarCast, the Stellar Recruitment Podcast. Let's go on an inspiring journey. By listening, learning, and taking key actions from our own recruitment experts, as well as industry leaders and inspirational individuals. By unlocking our own transformative change, we can all become the best versions of ourselves. Right, guys, uh, we've got two really interesting guests on a really relevant and interesting topic. Uh, So the topic is uh, managing psychological safety and health in the workplace. And within that, we're going to talk about the new ISO standard that talks to that and supports that. Uh, And we've got uh, Frank O'Connor, who's a uh, talented organisational psychologist and a major part in the development of the standard. And of course, the well-regarded Brisbane-based uh, registered psychologist and someone who's had a huge input into the corporate sector around psychological safety and whatnot, uh, Naomi Armitage. So I'm really confident you guys will enjoy and really I think it sort of talks to debunking what it is and how to make some positive steps in this particular area that has huge impact. So thanks for taking the time to join us today. We're seeing now more than ever uh, that our working lives can have a significant impact on our psychological well-being. And I, I noted this on some of the research I did prior to the podcast. Frank, I think it was a, a comment in one of your blogs or pieces saying that in human and financial terms, psychological ill health is the costliest area of occupational health and safety. Um, so I guess recognising the responsibility to protect uh, both the physical and psychosocial health of staff, employers, uh, you know, it's really on the radar now. Uh, I guess on the back of that, uh, the world's first international standard to address uh, that has just been published, and that's ISO uh, 45003. Um, so I guess, you know, through the podcast, we're just keen to sort of unpack uh, this and discuss, I guess, this concept more so people better understand how they can manage their psychological health and safety of people at work. I'm going to have a moment of vulnerability here, Naomi, and divulge a little secret. Um, I, I'm having a hard time understanding the, the, the phrase and the word psychosocial, and therefore I've got no real idea around what a psychosocial hazard might be. So can you give us a quick... Uh, lesson on that piece? Yeah, good question, John. This is the barrier. <laughs> this is step one, the barrier. I think this, like we were talking, people glaze over when they hear this term. Think about it. I just explain to people, think about it. What are the things that improve your mental health or decrease your mental health? And then think about it at work. What are the things at work that make you feel better about what you're doing? So it might be when you get the autonomy and scope to do what you can do versus being, you know, hamstrung and there's lots of a micromanager, they never give you any leeway, or you're sitting there and you're confused about where do I go, what do I do, am I doing a good job? So it's really those things that make you feel like you're maybe not okay and they're really impacting your mental health. Well, I think that's the most simplistic way and as soon as you said that, that made sense to me, what makes me feel better or worse from a mental perspective in the work context. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Okay, well, that's much clearer <laughs> to me. Before that, I had relatively no idea, and I think a lot of people maybe have a similar issue getting their head around that. So that's it's a terrible all- term. Awesome answer. <laughs> so thank you. We might just sort of kick off with asking you the question, Frank. Why was the standard developed? How did it sort of come to be? What drove this? Yeah, thanks. 
you've you've actually touched on one of the the things that had come out of OECD work in 2018 took some years to build up, but the work capacity loss of more than 4% of GDP was caused by stress, burnout, depression, and other psychosocial sources. That's just massive. So to prevent harm and to manage risk and to maintain productivity of people, the capacity of people to do work um, is it's it's not just a, a thing we have a lot of choice over. There are a couple of other things to make it complicated, though. One is that there's a lot that's changing the work experience. There's a different set of social expectations. Technology is advancing, and industrialization has taken a big twist. We're going to see climate change really makes a whole lot of changes faster rather than easier. And the other thing is that ill-being reports are rising, the opposite of well-being, that people aren't doing very well. Now, that matters to the business because unwell people aren't stable employees, they're not productive employees, you can't rely on them. Yeah, no, well, that's um, some great insight and maybe you'll know better than I, but uh, I forget how many trillion dollars uh, they quantify the impact to the economy or the issue itself. In 2030, it was something, it was at least 17 or, or 20 trillion, the cost of, I guess, this wider issue. So you, you might know the stats better than me. I, they get changed every year. <laughs> so I try not to keep on top of them. But when when you look at depression alone as being the biggest health problem, in the global population, uh, it's bigger than heart. That actually tells us that this is already in our workplaces. This is already with us. Is there something we can do about a bit of it? That, that was what the standard was there to do, to bring the guidance that already existed in ISO 45001 into the mental space, so to speak, into the psychological space, because health and safety has tended to be physical. Yeah, no, well, uh, great explanation. It's obviously a huge issue confronting us all. So uh, I guess I'd throw this next question to Naomi because I I think part of this podcast is definitely designed to be a bit of an enabler and an informer to people out there. But, you know, from your perspective, Naomi, how should boards and executives look at managing psychological safety risk and how on the radar is it in boardrooms at the moment Mm. from your perspective? Mm. Well, we had actually a client who was in charge of managing health and safety in a business and they were asked from the board to respond about what are they doing with this new standard? And her response was nothing. Help me. Yeah. Um, so so it is definitely on the radar and those queries are coming through. It's interesting. Um, hopefully it will see a more systemic approach because boards are interested in this, that they'll actually be more investment in that workplace part of this because I think what's happened to date is that a lot of organisations has sort of attacked the low-hanging fruit in that wellness space and and they're all fabulous things like having EAPs and resilience training. Those things I'm not saying don't have, but all of it, you can't put someone back into a toxic workplace. You send them to the EAP to get fixed, but if they come back into that workplace where there's no support, there's no autonomy, people aren't valued, it's pointless. So hopefully this has sort of sharpened the board's question a little bit more. Yeah, and no, I think, uh, you know, 
beyond you know your response there and going back to to Frank's earlier comments, I think it's a, it's an area of risk that needs to be addressed. But I think if looked at from a different lens, it's an opportunity as well, right? Mm, if, yeah. if if I can better enable the psychological health and safety within my organisation, I can get better output, more engagement, uh, less absenteeism. So there's an opportunity to mitigate the risk, but it's also an opportunity to leverage upside. Through, through grappling this initiative. Totally. And I did a podcast yesterday actually for a diversity group and one of the insights, that one of the feedback at the end was there was a really, it was a really helpful reframe and that's one part I talked about that workplaces, really it's about their obligation to improve wellbeing. It's not just about mitigate risk and if they viewed it through that lens, imagine where we'd be. Yeah. Um, it'd be benefit, you know, productivity as well. Yeah. And I think even beyond the using that word obligation, I think the opportunity. Yeah. Yeah, and on that side of it. So I think, you know, both sides are true, but I think uh, there's definitely a lot of upside for those that choose to really embark on this journey. But I guess, you know, back to you, Frank, and maybe going back to the mechanics, I mean, how... How, how was the standard developed? I mean, you touched on maybe how it was born out of OECD, et cetera, but, yeah, how was it developed? Well, standards are funny things. <laughs> um, they, they grow in countries that are really interested in them. They gradually build something and make it a national standard. And then to become an international standard, you have to get agreement across all the member countries, they have a veto system. So lots and lots of voting. It takes a long time. There's hundreds of people involved. In the past, they tended to gather together and work for days on end at a conference centre, usually somewhere wonderful. Um, but on this one, because COVID came along, that rather uh, removed all the junkets <laughs> and it actually focused the work. Um, I think it was a good thing. Um, but in, in simple um, timeline, the, this one was proposed in June 2018. Um, it was approved in August um, 2018. The drafting started in January last year and finished in January this year. Um, it went to the final ballot, hundreds of countries around the world saying, yes, we can live with it in May of, of this year. And it was published by the 8th of June. So that it's the work of hundreds of people, people in industry, people in academia. There were people from literally all over the world contributing. Um, there were a goodly number of Australians there. Oh, it sounds like quite a... Uh quite a complex sort of process, but maybe uh, in a way the byproduct of uh, COVID meant that that was more streamlined than under typical circumstances. Uh, and maybe it speaks to the importance and the universal buy-in to the issue itself as well. I think you're right. The, the, the progress that had already been made in Australia um, in different states and at federal level had set the scene quite well. And most Australian organisations that have an occupational health and safety management system um, will find this is very, very familiar. Other organisations that come at health and safety from a different perspective, in the health sector, for example, it's quite different. Um, so, but, but that's what standards are. They, they don't, this particular one isn't compulsory. It doesn't tell you how you have to be. Yeah. It's a guideline. So that's probably a good, uh, good segue. You know, from a practical point of view, Frank, how does a standard assist organisations respond 
to managing psychosocial risk? Well, there's there's a, a few things it does. One is it brings an organisational focus into managing psychosocial risks rather than what has tended to be in the past, a very individual focus. So we look after you, Sean, or we look after you, Naomi. We don't actually look after how you work together and how you will work together with uh, Gil to get the job done and do it again next week and after that and, and so on. So that's, that's, that's the organisational layer, and that's largely been missing. Uh, not in all sectors, in mining, in aviation, anything maritime, where people tend to get squished fairly quickly, that has been a practice because people have had each other's backs for years. Second thing, it feeds innovation. You mentioned this before, Sean, there is upside. Um, adaptation gets better because collaboration is easy where friction is lower. And where people are at each other's throats, they're not going to do their best. When that pressure is taken away, there's a lovely quote here, working well together means thinking well together. It's not fluffy thinking, it's thinking about what we need to do. Um, and thirdly, 45003 gives lots of examples and principles but it doesn't give solutions. These depend on the situation and the people as well. So it's not a paint-by-numbers approach. People know not to go and look at this sort of piece of work and say, it will tell me what to do. It isn't a recipe book. It's a, here are some really good things to consider and a way you might do it. That's, that's how it delivers its benefits. Yeah, and maybe uh, a good question for uh, Naomi on the back of that. What are the challenges to implementation uh, around the standard? What are the potential traps? Or, or put another way, you know, what's the most uh, efficient or practical way to implement some of these initiatives or mm. concepts? I think um, the first thing is when, when I've been talking to clients, they look at it and are overwhelmed. And so it sort of slides to the side of the desk because it's too hard to start. Yep. And then the second one, which was an interesting interaction I had this week, someone sort of started to look through the standard and went, oh, the things that we're doing actually don't really fit with this. Have we been doing this wrong? Should we chuck that out? And it's not about, you know, starting from scratch. It's, it's around actually taking a systematic approach. And I've been saying to them, look, work through and look at what are we doing well already? Where are the gaps? You know, what do we need to do more or less of? But it's interesting. I think one of the challenge or the potential traps is a bit of a tick and flicks and it becomes a compliance exercise. And I was talking to someone around this, around, for example, bullying harassment is a psychosocial hazard. This organisation has every policy under the sun and procedure in place. So tick, we have, you know, some controls. But you know what? Their psych injury claims because of this mm. are significant. Mm. You look at the parliament, you know, you look at parliament, all the harassment claims coming out of there, you can't tell me that they don't have every policy under the sun. Mm but it's not effective in managing the hazard. So what is what is actually the next, if you double click, what is it that actually is happening there? And that's about truly, you know, looking at how can we manage this hazard appropriately? It's not just a policy and procedure. What's stopping people putting their hand up and saying, I'm not okay, or that behaviour's not okay. And this is when you start to get into more complex aspects of this. And 
one of the one of that aspects is this whole concept of psychological safety, which is a you know different term to make sure that's very clear. Yeah. But it's around that culture of feeling safe to speak up. So this is you know you got to dig deep um, and not just comply and think, yep, I've got a procedure to address this. Is it working? Who's owning it functionally? I mean, obviously, yeah. there's the board, the CEO, but then there's the safety mm. function, then there's the HR function. Like, who's owning this? Yeah. Well, because, like Frank said, the ISO standard in organisations who have already got a health and safety management system, typically that's held by the safety departments. So this is sort of, they're usually responsible for this. But organisations who don't have that sort of risk-based approach it might be floating. Mm. You know, it might be sort of a little bit of HR. It might just be on the side as a nice-to-have initiative, but typically it would be held under that safety stream. The organisations where we've been seeing are really effective at this, safety is taking charge, but it actually is seen as all of the business's responsibility in managing this because HR understand what this has done well. It actually helps them manage claims, for example, or performance issues, for example. Um, the CEO understands that it increases productivity. So those are the organisations who see this as part of how we do business, not just a little on the side. Yeah, and I think that's probably the best way to attack it, isn't it? You know, as a collective, everyone's got their role to play within that. Yeah. But every aspect of the business can contribute to moving it in the right direction. Yeah. It's no one sort of functions, responsibility or role to manage that. No. I think one of the other challenges, though, is there's often not the people who know, you know, like any other risk hazard identification, usually people know about the hazards. So yep. if you look at that, they understand what it looks like, what to look for, and then potentially what are some of the controls. Psychosocial mm. hazards, what I'm finding a lot of the organisations, people don't know what they are and don't know what to look for. So you're actually missing that first step of hazard identification. Yeah. So I think again, if we take a step back, organisations getting increasing their literacy so they know what is this, what are we actually even looking for here, is probably really key to to sort of stepping through this as well. Because what is ending up happening is it's kind of like I use that analogy of dust. Mm. They they give everyone a dust mask, mm. but they don't ever go back and find where the dust is coming from. Yep. And that's kind of what I see when organisations, everyone's stressed, let's give them resilience training or train them in mental health first day. Well, why are they stressed? Why are they not okay? Yep. So that's that deeper understanding. Yeah, no, it's uh, super interesting because I guess as a risk or a hazard, it's kind of in some ways it's invisible and intangible and variable. Mm-hmm. Whereas, you know, a road hazard or an environmental hazard, you can see it as tangible and, and, and generally fairly predictable in terms of how it shows up and, and therefore how to mitigate that. Mm-hmm. This is it's such a organic variable sort of landscape, it's hard for people to get their head around it. Yeah, very. It's complicated. Like Frank said, it's complex. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's complicated. Absolutely. So to sort of move beyond the complexity of it all, Frank, if we were to simplify things uh, with such a complex sort of scenario, you know, what, what would be sort of three things organisations could do, say, tomorrow to work through the standard? How would you make it easy for them? It, well, there's there's one particular part of it, Section 6, is a list of hazards. And people could have a look at that and say, um, what are we already doing around here that does something about this? So that most importantly, they hang on to some of what they're doing well, because it's all too easy to throw the baby out with the bathwater. On the other hand, with the same baby in the same bathwater, putting a bowl of fruit on every meeting table and ignoring the fact that people throw fruit at each other That's the behavior. Yeah. You see, we do notice this stuff. We just choose not to do anything about it. 
That's actually the hard thing that we are really trying to unpick. So people do have to learn what the hazards are. Then they're going to need the courage to do something about it. Thirdly, there are lots of low contention starters. I was working with a bank a little while ago on a psychosocial hazard review at request of the board, and they said, oh, what should we look at? And I went through the usual list, section six. It's free to air on the ISO's webpage and will be for quite some months. You don't have to go along to um, Standards Australia and pay uh, whatever it is for a copy. You can read it all online, and um, it's been published as part of helping the world be a better place um, given what we're all going through. In in this bank, they, they said, oh, oh, well, why are you mentioning fatigue? Fatigue isn't a problem here. Now, if anybody in, uh, that's listening has ever worked in a bank, they know fatigue isn't a problem that they're allowed to talk about. And actually, that's two problems. One is people are tired, and two is they're not allowed to talk about it. So fatigue and sleep quality are something that's relatively easily investigated. People are happy to talk about it. They'll complete brief surveys. You can find the people who are really having problems. You can find the work groups that are really having problems. Oh, don't be surprised. They might be the most argumentative, least productive ones. It just <laughs> might be that, that they relate. It's true in offices. It's true in retail. It's not just true in physical hard work. Yeah, no, I think there's uh, some good practical sort of tips there, uh, Frank, and I think particularly when it comes to sleep, I think there's no stigma around discussing sleep quality as there is stigma with other aspects of wider wellness or mental health. I think people are willing to talk about that uh, more openly, so I think that's a good place to start. And I think you also make some good points around the fact that, you know, there's already some good stuff taking place in organisations. So acknowledge that, capture that uh, in terms of the wider momentum towards moving towards some of the aspects of the standard. And I think uh, reiterating or linking back to an earlier comment from Naomi, it's easy to have the checklist, but it's the behaviours that are the hard things and the most important things to change and develop on this journey. So some good points there. Clearly, there's no silver bullet, unfortunately, but I mean, I'm keen from your point of view, Naomi, to understand what are the, uh, some of the key factors that might lead to the successful management of psychological health and safety at work, bearing in mind, you know, you've had some wonderful experience with different companies over time. Yeah, it's interesting. I think the key one and the thing that I've noticed the difference, and Frank alluded to this before, is placing it under a safety lens and approaching it just how you would any other, you know, hazard. And it's really interesting, the organisations that I work with who are in those high-risk environments, mining, they're good at this and they can kind of, they're starting to draw the bow and they go, oh, yeah, I get the, the linkage here. But working with some organisations like retail, this is foreign. It is not even, it, it is not even a concept. And think about the hazards that, that, <laughs> that are in place in those workplaces. Yeah. So I think... That, so those organisations who aren't already used to that would be schooling themselves up in actually applying those safety principles or the safety lens. And I think the other is that is looking at enablers and it's getting into that behaviour part. So what are some of the enablers that will enable the behaviours to support 
this. So looking at things like psychological safety, making it safe for people to speak up or say, you know, I'm not coping, I've got too much work on my plate, or I'm unsure about what I need to be doing here. Those type of sort of enablers and building those culture and again, literacy around that will really help bring it to life. And it won't just be a tick and flick, it'll be actually a change of behaviour and mindset. And sort of moving down the continuum a little bit, those companies that have grappled it and doing well in that space, what are you seeing or witnessing in terms of the upside of creating you know, psychologically safe organisations? Oh, there's some awesome organisations we've been working with. Um, one in particular, they this psychosocial hazards, it's just business as usual. It's just part of actually how they work yep. and they recognise that they've, they've schooled themselves up so they've got good literacy. There's a really combined effort. The, the CEO is on board and embraces the behaviours and models of behaviours, HR, safety. They looked at also how they integrate this into every other part of their business. So looking at business improvement processes, that actually is a part of enabling people to feel valued at work, feel like they've got the contributions, they can speak up, share ideas. All those things are the behaviours that we look at that actually make the workplace great. Yep. So they're starting to integrate these concepts into the other parts of their business. So they're, um, you know, diversity inclusion. Okay, are we actually making it safe for people to speak up and share their ideas and really feel included in this workplace? What do we need to do to be better at that? So they don't just see it as an initiative on the side. Yep. You're looking at it in every aspect. Yeah, oh, fantastic. And, you know, those companies that are successfully managing the psychosocial risks, what do they do differently or, or how do they know things are working? Yeah, so, you know, they're really curious. They <laughs> hypothesise tests. And I yeah. think this is, again, a real opportunity. They try something yeah. and if it doesn't work, they go back and go, well, why? We thought that we'd get this result and this is how we were going to measure that result, but we actually haven't seen that happen. Why? So they're curious and they go back and test again versus blindly mm. throw things in and say, yep, tick, we're doing something. Well, actually, is it effective? Yep. And I think the risk though, sometimes people go, it's not working, bam, it's gone. It's actually being, well, why isn't it working? What's stopping it? So they they're, they're just take a much more sort of considered approach, I think. Yeah. I, I like that sort of notional concept of being inquisitive and sort of uh, running different experiments and then re iterating as you go. Yeah. And, and it's a journey. It's not like a, if we follow, like uh, Frank maybe talked about, if you follow this recipe, you'll get the result and yeah. tick, it's done. It's such a dynamic landscape. You're never there, are you? Mm -hmm. well, you might be there for a moment, but tomorrow's a whole new situation exactly. because people are showing up differently every single day. Um, so it's a, it's a continuous sort of journey that you've got to embark on and, and try different things to see what works and what doesn't. Exactly. And, and what are you measuring? Mm. How will you know? What are your indicators? And that's the thing. Like, I mean, you've got different surveys for engagement. You've got different surveys for safety performance. What is the metric in which you manage this sort of phenomenon? I mean, is there a metric? Go, 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 we're going off, sure. off, off piece a that's, little bit. That's a 64,000 word question. <laughs> um, the standard safety metrics, if they measure safety achieved rather than incidents of damage, does that make sense? So safety achieved is the uh, construction, the, yep. the number of um, workdays yep. completed without incident. Yep. If we can move towards some kind of mental incident measure, 
Um, it's going to take a while, but mm. that's a way of measuring the good side. Mm. I think it would be terribly bad if we just measured negative incidents because that would just make us obsess about how do we get them down, not get the other lot up. We mustn't get distracted by um, safety is about being safe from harm, not being safe from discomfort. Mm. Work is often challenging. Work is often not easy. The best work of humans often happens when things are actually pretty tough. But that's not necessarily harmful. Lots to learn there. So the yeah. metrics, watch this space. Yeah, yeah, it's an interesting one. One of the organisations, a very enlightened stakeholder who who is quite skilled in this area, one of the things that we've been working with them is they have an existing, their organisation does not want to introduce any other metrics. So, yep. so we're saying, okay, what have you got at the moment? They've got physical safety metrics. They've mm. got their engagement mm. survey. Mm -hmm. So we've been doing some hypothesis testing, mm. mapping their engagement scores that we think might go up or down, attaching them to that table six, the psychosocial hazards. And so, for example, one of them around feeling that there's autonomy. So there's some questions in their e engagement survey around, you know, do I feel like I'm listened to or I have enough, you know, scope to do what I need to do? If they go up, then we actually think that the interventions we're doing, maybe we're addressing that hazard. Yeah. Yeah. So that's what they're doing in the, you know, in, before our beautiful metric arrives, Frank, that you're talking about, whatever it is when it pops up, but that's what they're starting to do to yeah. track progress. And you know, I think, uh, you know, I think all organisations to an extent have metric fatigue looking at oh. all these different metrics. So if you can <laughs> yes. leverage what you already got, I think that's a better outcome. And maybe in time, you know, if we can ever get to that more transparent, safe world, when people have a, a day of absenteeism, they could note it to be mental or flu or physical-like absenteeism and with no repercussion. And then you can start to dissect that absenteeism to see whether it's going up or down and what proportion is mental versus flu or other forms of illness. Or the kind that's really interesting is I'm not at work because I don't get on with my boss and I can use sick leave to remove myself from that situation. Now, how good is that from a shareholder value point of view? Yeah, it would be, uh, I think, uh, from a shareholder <laughs> point of view, I think it would be significant. I think, you know, the wider ESG movement, I could see it maybe getting to that point, but a very confronting statistic, perhaps, you know, for people to confront and work through. And that's particularly in this in this world that we're in at the moment, that despite the, the calamity that we're in with COVID, it's such a candidate short market based on this, the relative strengths of economy and all that sort of stuff. So it's a very complex landscape. But I think, you know, where we're going is is, is great. I think, uh, you know, in time, this is only going to become more discussed, more uh, engaged in. Uh, the stigma around uh, challenges in the space are going to come less and less, so it's going to get more and more embraced. So my belief is the only way is up from here. So it's great to see some of these initiatives and standards and conversations taking place in organisations. So I think the work that both you guys are doing is is awesome, and I think uh, for the generations to come, they'll be much better for it than what's gone before, and I'm really excited and passionate about that, as I'm sure you guys are as well. So is there anything else you guys would touch on on the standard or on the, the wider landscape in this regard that might be worthwhile sort of just leaving as a final thought? One, one, um, one little thing, the international flavour of this means that a whole lot of stuff got left out 
One thing in particular that people will look at and wonder about, I've had a lot of discussions about this already, is about the relationship between this kind of psychological, psychosocial safety. It's a terrible term, isn't it? Psychosocial. <laughs> What's the relationship between this kind of safety and well-being? Is there any kind of equivalence? And the Spanish delegates almost withdrew completely several times because culturally to them, safety from harm is a legal obligation. Promotion of well-being and good health is just desirable. So a number of people will be wondering, well, is, where's the well-being word as, as we work our way through this? This is not about feeling good. This is about getting home safely tonight and coming back next week, next month, and next year, ready, willing, and able to do your job. Yep. Good distinction, I guess, that the cultural idiosyncrasies of this make it interesting, particularly on a global context. So it sounds like a, that's a good example. But my, my hope would be from a corporate lens that you identify and knowledge it as a risk and therefore an obligation, but also, I guess, further to some of the earlier comments, you also see it as an enabler and an opportunity. And I think if it's seen as both, that's where yeah. hopefully we get the best outcome because you, know, you got the opportunists that grapple the opportunity, you've got the people that are risk adverse that acknowledge they've got an expectation obligation to make the right things uh, happen uh, in the organisational context to be able to turn up day in, day out. But I think if we attack it from both perspectives, hopefully we get the biggest shift. You know, So I don't know if there's any sort of final thoughts on your part, Naomi. I think, I think the other, and it's extending from that, is actually boards reflecting on what their role in, is in this because sometimes those environments that boards create for those managing their company are not necessarily psychologically safe. And there's a lot of things that maybe they should know that they don't know. Yep. Look at the Banking Royal Commission, et cetera. Why are those things not reported? Why don't people tell them? Yeah, I mean, yeah. I think uh, if we sort of look through that lens of what could come in the future, I can't help but feel that like some of the other movements we've seen of late, there is going to be more and more attention and light shone on this situation and the behaviour and things that were going on right from board level, right through the organisations. It's only going to become more transparent and more apparent. So I think those companies that can get in there and make good change earlier rather than react to things all of a sudden coming down on them through that light becoming uh, more apparent on, on this whole landscape, probably the better right. Yeah. I think you're right, Sean. Um, you're so right. The ones that get started earlier um, are already doing much better. Yes. The other thing that they have found is you don't have to do everything. I mean, business has always been like that, hasn't it? You don't have to be good at absolutely everything. You just have to be good enough. Yep. And exactly the same in this field. You don't have to fix every risk. You have to know which ones are most dangerous in your place. You have to know how serious they are, how severely impactful they are, how likely they are. The same stuff that we do with other kinds of risks. And that's why Naomi's point earlier is so important. We have to get to know the risks and then have the courage to do something about them. Uh, the first thing is to talk about them. And that conversation that happens at board level that you guys are both helping 
Um, that's really, really important. It doesn't have to be personal. I'm not talking about how nutty my aunt Edna is. Hope you really oh, don't she's have an aunt Edna. <laughs> she is nutty. Yeah. <laughs> Whole another story by the sounds of a Frank, doesn't it? You know, so so now I think you guys are doing some wonderful stuff. I'll definitely include in some of the show notes some of the resources that were referred to through the conversation. Uh, likewise, I'll put both you guys' details for anyone wishing to find out more based on your experience. But now, Frank, it's been great to talk and understand how the standard come about and your part in that. Uh, and obviously, Naomi's experience working with different organisations on this journey. I can see both of you guys are going to be very busy moving forward given your expertise in this field and, and I guess good on you guys for assisting organisations and individuals uh, show up and return and better health in that psychological sort of context uh, day in, day out through the work you guys do. So thanks for taking the time to join us here today. Thank you, Sean. Thanks, Sean. Thank you for listening to StellarCast. This show aligns with why Robbie McIlwraith and Sean McCambridge co-founded the company. Their mission was to help and nurture others to reach and exceed their potential. For trusted recruitment and career advice, contact Stella today.